I should have known better from the beginning. The beginning was hard, but surely it was going to get easier. I mean, that's the way life works, right? Now, it's always fun to look back on times that you were naive and realize just how goofy you were back then. Unfortunately, this wasn't a long time ago. It was but a few years ago. You see, we got out of the truck. We unloaded our packs, set them on the ground, got everything together, and then slung them up and put them on. And my pack was heavy, very heavy. But I was still strong and full of hope back then, not wiser and more experienced as I was but a few hours later. You see, I'd packed everything I might need for this hike. I'd been hiking before. I'd been hiking before a lot. But there was a point in time that I'd blown out my knee. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it hurts. And it lasts a long time. And it's an experience that you don't soon forget. Well, I had blown out my knee, and it had been several years since I'd been hiking. So this opportunity came, and I decided I'm ready to do this again. So I packed my pack with everything that I might need. What I'd forgotten about hiking was that every gram of weight in that pack in town is like an extra pound in the middle of the trail. And every extra pound feels like a ton by the time you get to the end of the trail. I made another mistake. I bought me some nice new boots for the hike. Brand new. See, some of you are so much wiser than I am. I hear the groans out there. I didn't feel the groans till much later. But there were a group of us. In fact, Daniel, our worship leader, was one of the guys that came on the trip. He was much younger then, too. We got out of the car, slung our packs on, and started hiking. And here's what should have been my first warning. The parking lot was uphill. The parking lot was slanted and we'd parked at the bottom of the parking lot. And we were up in, on the rim, up in the high part of Arizona. And you know what? God didn't put as much oxygen in the air up there. So 50 yards from the truck to the top of the parking lot, I was already out of breath. <sighs> I can do this. We get to the top of the parking lot, and there's two posts there and a sign. Trail, that way. Oh, cool, okay. We can do it. And the trail began on this eight-and-a-half-mile hike. The trail began in this ugly, dried riverbed like you get in the high country of Arizona. There's no water there. It's just craggy, rocky, and we're walking along one side, and the riverbed's way down there, and then there's another side over there. And I know at some point the trail's that way too. Hiking through this dusty, icky, rocky, uncomfortable place, and it's hot, 
And the trail is rising and falling. And well, it's mostly rising and a little bit of falling, but then it's rising again. And then we come to the first real challenge of the hike. We have to cross this river, dry riverbed, to get to the actual other side where the trail is, which meant hiking down in this breaking, scrabbling rock, falling and slipping and banging your knees and legs and your pack. And then we had to climb right back out the other side. No fun at all. But on the other side, we began to walk into trees and the trail got nicer. Suddenly it's sandy with a lot of leaf litter on the trail. And there's trees giving a shade finally with little shafts of light coming in. How beautiful. And then we're walking along this nice little creek. Oh, this is the kind of thing you can get along with. Three miles in along this. Still a lot. My legs are burning. My back is hurting. My shoulders are aching. But this is actually a beautiful hike. And then we see it up ahead. Trailhead. We hadn't even been on the trail yet. We weren't almost there at all. The eight and a half mile hike starts there. We'd already come several miles. Doggone it. And I'd like to tell you that's the worst part, but the worst part was when you come to those two posts and the actual trailhead and you look at the trail. Oh, crap. Now, I could have chosen at that point to walk the three miles back to the truck. But the guy with the keys wasn't going to let me sit in the truck for the two days. I could have chosen to just stop right there and set up camp. But here's the hard truth about guys. Sometimes our pride drives us farther than we might have otherwise gone. Because I wasn't about to sit down in front of all those other guys and give up. And so I did it. I took that first step up. On those rocky, craggy switchbacks that went up that mountain. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, joining us online, I'm Pastor Roger here with Campbell Community Church, and we're going through a series that we call As You Are. It's this idea of this open door, and you come as you are, and you're welcome. And the idea comes from the idea of recovery groups, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Celebrate Recovery, Eating Disorder Groups. And the idea that these 12-step programs that exist in this world are what the church ought to be. Now, if you've been joining us through this series so far, bear with me. You've heard this before, but maybe there's a reason I'm repeating it. Not just for the new people to understand where we're at, but maybe for the rest of us to remember this is the idea. Because when you walk into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting for the first time, 
You can walk in as somebody stumbling drunk, coming down from a hangover, coming down from your high. And you can stumble in. And the first thing they say is, welcome. They shake your hand. They welcome you in. You're a part of us. And when you've been sober for 24 hours, they hand you a little chip of encouragement. They say, here, take this chip, 24 hours sober. Good job. And everybody claps for you. Good job, man. You made it 24 hours. And when you've made it two days, they clap for you. And when you've made it three days and four days and seven days, a week, a month, a year, each time you get a little reward and an encouragement. And here's the coolest thing about it is you can be sober for decades, 20 years sober, and then something happens in your life and you crash. You fall off the wagon. You take that drink. You get drunk. And the next day you stumble into the meeting. And they don't scold you for falling off the wagon. They don't belittle you and point their finger. They say, welcome, brother. Here's your 24-hour chip. That's what the church ought to be. A place for weirdos and strange people and different people and outcasts and broken people and drunks and addicted people and people who've been abused and people who've abused others. A place where you can come and they say, welcome, brother. And after 20 years, you can screw everything up and fall all apart in your life and walk back in the door and nobody's going to say, you screw up. You terrible sinner. They say, no, welcome, brother. Come on in. Welcome home, traveler. That's the place I want to go to church. That's the people I want to hang out with. And so we're looking at that as this series, as you are. Come as you are. You are welcome here. And we studied step one, where we admit that our life is out of control and unmanageable ourselves. Whether it's from addiction, whether it's from depression, whether it's from life problems of any kind, it's all from sin. And our lives are unmanageable. And until we admit that we can't be perfect, we can't do it all ourselves, we can't go anywhere. So step one is admitting that. Step two is recognizing that you need a higher power. That is God. To help your life become more sane, to help it to have meaning, to help understand where to go, you need that higher power, and that higher power is God. Step three. Pastor Bernie covered that last week. Step three is the first step where it's a decision, where it actually starts to require something of you, where you make the decision that I'm going to turn my life and my will over to the care of God because I already figured out that I need help and I can't do it myself and I need God. Now I got to make a decision to turn it over to God. And that's what Pastor Bernie walked it through this week or last week. And I'm going to say, stop right there. If you haven't thought about that stuff yet, I encourage you to turn off the video and go back, go down through the stream on Facebook and find those other sermons and walk through the steps so that you understand where we are. Don't worry, you can come watch this video again later after you've got through the other steps. For those of us who've walked through the steps, we're now at step four. We are standing there between those two posts at the actual trailhead, and we thought it was hard up to now. And now we look at the trail and realize it's going to get a lot harder now. Stick with me here. I promise it's worth it. 
Step four is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. We make a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. Well, that's easy, right? I just got to look at my life and figure things out. No sweat. Yeah, right. You see, I got to warn you, if you're going to do this step, you can't do this one alone. If you go to an AA meeting and you reach this point, one of the things that they encourage you to do is get a sponsor. Sponsor? Sponsor is a person who's got it all together, got their lives all figured out. They have never struggled with alcohol or whatever you're struggling with, right? Wrong. A sponsor is just the person who's a couple steps ahead of you that can keep encouraging you. And they're going to do something called hold you accountable. Now, I have to stop right here because in church, accountability is a loaded word. There have been people who've used this word for abuse. There have been people who've used this word to take control of other people's lives. That is not what accountability is. Accountability is one brother walking with another brother and saying, man, see, you're struggling. Let's get this together and keep walking. When you go to an AA meeting, what happens? They have the first part of the meeting where everybody's together. And then there's this other part where you go off into a small group and you stay with the same small group of people. And you, you stay there and you've got someone in that group is going to call you on your bull crap. That is when you say, well, I got drunk this weekend, but it was because my, my friends talked me into it. Somebody's there in the meeting going, wrong. They may have encouraged you, but you chose it. Let's get this words right. And so you go back and you say, you're right. I got drunk this weekend. I chose to take the drink. I chose to hang out with people I knew were going to talk me into this. And now I can start healing. That's what a sponsor does. That's what a small group does. And that's what accountability is. And you know, the cool thing, good accountability goes two different directions. I have men in my life who help hold me accountable. Rick. Daniel, Pastor Bernie, these are people who call me on my stuff when I'm doing something I'm not ought to be doing. They're not the only ones. If I left people out, that's not intentional. Just recognize that there are people in your life that walk along with you and encourage you. And when you go through this part where you start taking a fearless and searching moral inventory of your life, you need help. You need someone encouraging you. You need someone there putting an arm around you. You need someone talking into your life. Why? Because when you look inside, I promise you, you're going to find ugly. You're going to find mean. You're going to find sin. You're going to find muck of a mess. You're going to be confronting the things that have you where you are and why you're stuck. And if they were good things, you wouldn't be stuck. You see, the common mistake that most people think is that people are basically good. As Christians, we know that's not true. As Christians, we know that people are basically broken. And sometimes, because we're created in the image of God, we can do some amazing things. But there is a brokenness at the heart of us that is sin. We inherit this sin all the way back from Adam and Eve. But we can't just blame them. 
Because every single one of us has sin in our life. Things that we do, things that we don't do that we should. We have this brokenness at our heart. And it's not that the world is full of basically good people, except for a few jerks. No. The world's full of a bunch of messed up people, and occasionally people get it right. And when you can admit that and recognize that, you know, it's not all those other jerks out there. I'm the jerk. It's not the other people out there that cause all the problems in my life. It's the guy who looks at myself in the mirror every single morning. I'm the one that's responsible for most of my problems in life. When you can get to that point and admit that, it's a very powerful step in your life. But to get there, you have to look at the ugly in your life. And sure, let's deal with the fact you've been abused in life. You've been hurt. You've been let down. You've been broken by other people. This could be issues of race. This could be issues of wealth. This could be issues of child abuse. This could be issues of people doing terrible, harmful things to you. Spousal abuse, girlfriend, boyfriend abuse. It could be any number of things. It could be addictions in your life. Whatever it all is, those things you have to dig through and say, this is an issue. But... I cannot blame all of my life circumstances on the outside stuff. I have to recognize that it's still me who has to choose the right or the wrong at any given moment in time. People hurt me. People abused me. Maybe my ex-spouse was controlling. Maybe my children abandoned me. Maybe, 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 but I got to choose. And to get to that point, I got to start digging in to the reasons for things. Jesus addressed this. He talked about this in Matthew 15, 11. He said, it's not what goes into the person that defiles them. It's what comes out of them. That's what defiles the person. It's not about eating the wrong things. It's not about drinking the terrible things. Those might be stuff you have to clean up, but the defilement, the brokenness, the sin is already in here. Those things that I talk about, the alcohol, the drugs, the sin in your life, the gossip, the depression, the anxiety, all of the things that are wrong only affect you if you let them. Now, I'm not blowing this off as something easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is an easy thing to take care of, but it's not until we come to that point where we can say, you know what? I'm not going to let that hurt me anymore. I'm not going to let that person hurt me anymore. I'm not going to let that addiction control my life anymore. I'm not going to give into that sin in my life anymore. That's when things can start to change. When you recognize you're broken and it's the brokenness that flows out of you, not the stuff that comes in, that's what makes the difference. You can't grow as a person until you stand at that trailhead and look at how hard this journey is going to be and still take that first step into it. All the stuff that's come before, yeah, that's all part of your journey. But the real journey starts here, starts now with that searching and fearless moral Inventory. And here's the thing. When I say fearless, that's a key word. 
Because fearless suggests that fear might be part of this. When I stood at the bottom of that hill and looked at that ridiculous trail I was about to go on, I was a little afraid. I was definitely unsure. To be fearless means you recognize the fear is there, but you still step forward anyway. That's courage. That's bravery. And when you're making this moral inventory, you got to recognize this is going to be hard. It's going to take me being brave because a simple truth I can give you today and forevermore is the single person who hurts and deceives you the most in life is yourself. No one lies to me better than I lie to myself. No one convinces me to do things better than I talk myself into them. It's recognizing that that lets us take that step. Psalm 51 that Pastor Bernie prayed through this morning, and we also kind of sung Uh, some of the lyrics from in our worship this morning, it says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, that psalm was written by King David after he got busted doing probably the worst, the greatest, the most awful sin ever. And it's recorded in the Bible. So terrible that thousands and thousands, 3,000 years later, we're still reading about this guy and what he did. He slept with a woman who was not his wife. He took her. Really, it was rape, not just an affair, because he was the one in charge and controlled her. And then when he made her pregnant, he had her husband murdered to cover it up. And then brought her into his house. That evil, awful deed he was convicted of. The prophet prophet Nathan came in and told him a story about a man with a lamb and how the neighbor had stolen that lamb. And King David said, well, that man ought to be put to death for stealing that. And And the prophet Nathan said, David, you are that man. And David had this moment of, oh, no, it was me of that recognition that it was his sin and his ugliness he had to look at and deal with. And so he went into prayer. And one of the things that he did during that time of recognizing and trying to clean up from what he did is he wrote Psalm 51. And he looked at God and he says, I know my transgression. My sin is ever before you. It's in my eyes and I know I've sinned against you. He's admitting this. And the cool thing here is, He's not blaming Uriah, the husband that he had killed. He's not blaming Bathsheba for being too pretty or too sexy. No, he's saying, I did it. I recognize I did it. I recognize I wanted to do it. And he said, I'm sorry, God. You know what the good news? When we do something like that, that's what God wants. He wants us to do that. He wants us to arrive at that part. That thing of ugliness then becomes a thing of beauty because we turn to our God. It says here, continuing in Psalm 51, Behold, you, God, delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom 
in the secret heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Remember singing those words a little while ago? Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. And here we go. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. That's the sponsor. See, we talked about that. Remember I said, get some help, get someone to walk with you. That's all the sponsor is. He's the guy who just went through that crap. He's the guy who had to go through and sort through his life and figure out everything that what was wrong. She was the one who had to admit the terrible deeds that she had done. Your sponsor's just two or three steps ahead of you. And they're saying, come on, you can make this. You see, that's what happened on that trail that day as we began those switchbacks up that ugly, rocky, thin, nasty path. The guy in front, walking along with a stick, feeling for the broken rocks and the moving rocks and the things that were in the way. This was an awful trail. Who chose this trail? Oh, crap, it was me. I read about it and thought it'd be fun. But the guy in front says, hey, hey, watch out here. Oh, look over here. See the edge is breaking off. Stay back against the edge. Not because he's any smarter. He's just a couple steps ahead and can help you along the way. That's what a sponsor is. That's what we do together. You see, the thing to recognize in a good sponsor, a good person to walk you through this, to help you through this, is recognize that they're struggling too. Every single one of you sitting out there and every single one of you joining on the internet I'm struggling too, just like you are. Maybe different things that you're dealing with, maybe different things they're dealing with. We're all struggling and we can walk together through this. Digging into your past is hard. Looking at your own motivations and why you've done things is difficult. But this is the beauty of the church. For years in our old church, we had this saying, we had it actually on a banner up there that said, life is a journey. You don't have to walk alone. That's this whole concept. You don't have to walk alone. Because you can look in the row next to you and go, that person's struggling. Maybe we can walk together. You can look behind you and go, hey, come on up. We can get through this together. You can look at someone who seems to have it all together. I promise you, they don't have it all together. But you can go, hey, would you walk with me? Because I'm struggling with this. Taking that fearless and searching moral inventory is not going to be easy. I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to stand at that trailhead. Oh, crap. Oh, man. I don't think I can make that. And someone comes up behind you and puts their hand on your shoulder and go, we can do this together. And when you've gotten through a part of that, you can be like King David, where he said, then when I get a few steps down the road, I can teach other transgressors. He says, I can teach transgressors, but he means other. I get that in there. Did you see... I didn't tell you the rest of the story. Tell you the whole story. Because we did get to the top of that mountain that day. There was a little bit of oxygen up there somewhere. I had found enough to get to the top. And when you come over that rocky crest, 
you come down into this green valley. It's beautiful. I, I tried to find some pictures because I said I was going to put a picture of it up here, and none of them that I found do it justice. Such a beautiful green valley with uh, pine trees, those lodgepole pines everywhere. So you can see through them because there's no low branches, but there are plenty of upper branches that keep you shaded. And the best part is that little creek I told you about, this is the source. There is a spout of water that's about that big around, blasting out of the mountain, ice cold water, just gushing white water as fast as you can see, just spraying up and down into this uh, bundle of boulders where it becomes a waterfall. And it runs down the mountain on the side that you don't get to see in that awful trail. But you come up there, there's this beautiful spring, Horton Springs. Beautiful. And you can fill up your canteen there and the water's so cold, it hurts to drink but you keep doing it anyway because it's so wonderful after that terrible, awful hike. Came back down that mountain. That's how I'm here today. I survived both the up and the down trip. And I got back to the truck. And I'll tell you what, I took stock. I took a fearless and searching moral inventory before I went on another hike again. And I did go on other hikes. I guarantee you, I left a lot of crap behind because you didn't need to bring everything with you. You see, with practice, this spiritual discipline of looking at your life, it's called examine. It's a spiritual discipline where you pray your way through your life and you start to take apart the things that hold you back and the things that hurt you and the things that keep you from being close to God. And you can do it and it does become easier. It doesn't become easy. But it does become easier if you keep this a part of who you are. Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And I agree with him. Most people trudge through a terrible life of grayness. Because they don't do this step. They keep on the sort of easy trail of life and they miss what's most important because once you've gone through this, then you see the beautiful green beauty that's up there. And here's the thing. When we picture our life of improvement and getting better, we have this vision of, oh, it's, you know, point A to point B. We can do that. What we don't see is the fact that this trail was up and down and sometimes it was way down and sometimes it was way up and sometimes it was beautiful and easy road to walk and other times it was terrible and rocky and sometimes there were switchbacks and sometimes there were parts where we got stuck and had to stop. This is why you have friends with you to help encourage you and keep, them, keep you coming along. And if you don't have someone like that, hi, my name is Pastor Roger. I'd love to walk with you because I've been on this journey too, and I'm still on this journey, and it's still not easy to uncover the ugly, nasty stuff that's in my life that I have to deal with. But I'd love to walk with you and encourage you to come along, and we'll do this together. You can bother Pastor Bernie too, or any of our elders like Daniel or Rick. You can talk to Dennis or George. There's people in here that would love to walk with you. There's beauty at the end of the journey, but the next truth to learn from it is the journey itself is the reward. 
Step three is standing at that trail head, getting ready to make that fearless and searching moral inventory of yourself. We're standing there now. Pick up your pack. We'll walk together.